Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. True Hauntings is a frightfully good production. Down a small, sleepy lane and not far from Upper Dicker, Arlington Reservoir and Hailsham is stunning Mickleham Priory. This is a 13th century priory that stands on a private island. This priory is the site of deaths, murders and destruction and was looted for its ornaments and valuables at the time of King Henry VIII. Although it has seen many different eras and has had many different purposes, one thing is for sure. The ghosts of the past still remain and are as active as ever. Hi, I'm Renata. And I'm Anne. And in this week's episode of the True Hauntings podcast, we explore the many ghostly sightings and experiences that still haunt the Priory. The now famous English ghost hunting show Most Haunted concluded their first series with an investigation of the Mickleham Priory on the 17th of September 2002 which was coincidentally the first episode to be produced. In the eighth series, the team revisited this location to mark the 100th episode. Anne and Renata have been investigating paranormal occurrences for the past 20 years. They have been at the center of various unexplained phenomena and have witnessed countless ghostly experiences. The duo now turn to high-profile cases that have attracted the eyes of the world. Between the dimensions we see and the dimensions we don't, supernatural forces are at play. Evil lurks within the shadows of our homes and in the darkest corners of our minds. It follows us like a shadow, forever. This is where nightmares become reality. This is True Hauntings. My grandfather said to watch out for the dragon in case he nabbed me, but I, being six, was more concerned with the moat. The dragon was a dusty, yellow, clacking monster dancing along with a Morris troop of red-faced labouring men. The moat, though, was placid, wide and dark, green and still. 
Certainly there were cheerful ducks in pairs with half-grown ducklings, as well as coots and shire moorhens, but they all seemed to paddle hastily across the water just to get where they were going and nothing more. My grandfather held my hand tightly as we went under the medieval gatehouse over the bridge. Inside the main house, it was both stared and gothic arched in stone, and all the furniture smelled like bees' waxed effort. When I leaned on the panelling after the long climb, I tried not to leave telltale tiny fingerprints. The muted tapestries relieved the lime-white walls, and in the prior's chambers, we came across a chair for a dragon. My grandfather sat in it, though I'm not sure he should. Maybe the staff were kind to him because he had a stick. The leaflet about the priory, smelling of fresh print and glossy like the polished wood, told us long, long lists of facts, but it was the friendly Dochen who mentioned the ghost. There were at least three, he said, including a grey lady in the gatehouse, a blue lady in the music room, and a wandering monk in the Tudor wing. Some of them had drowned, he nodded with a little glee. The dragon in the grounds was a knucker, he said. It had come from a waterhole and now lived in the priory moat amongst the sodden ghosts, for better or for worse. I shuddered at the thought of silvered weeds and long fingers under the water's skin dragging me down. I trembled at the idea of voices in my ears roaring at me to stay, so that the song of daylight and air and the earth grew more distant. Maybe the ghosts were sirens, like the ones from far away that we'd been told about at school, and they were lonely in their wearied haunts and hoping for company. My grandfather said the gatehouse was a fine building, and I wondered if it wouldn't be so bad to be entangled there. It was so very green and wet and grey. Later, blinking in the bright of the August sun, we each ate a vanilla cornet sold from an old-fashioned icebox. Already tired out, we sprawled across an unrolled tartan blanket on a bank of the short mowed grass. Breathing a sigh of relief, we drank from the flask of tea my grandfather had bought in his canvas rucksack. The cup had a comforting warm plastic smell, and the flask was rich with tannin. Across from us, on the close-cropped lawn, the Morris men danced on. The Naka snapped at another child. Snap! Snap! And I knew I would cry if he came near me. Stalls and displays, bright jewels round the grounds. My father called it a bank holiday jolly. In my thoughtful small child way, I considered the general levity and remembered the Augustinian monks, which the Docian had told us had traipsed across this lawn. I imagined them to be tonsured like the grass and martyred. We were good Catholics at home, though my grandfather was fiercely not. He said they'd been truculent and obdurate, and good King Henry had sacked the monasteries for a reason. This was not the history I'd been taught. 
but sitting in the sunshine with a cheese and tomato sandwich cut diagonally on soft white bread, anything seemed possible. So I nodded to agree. We looked at the stalls, bedecked with bunting and cheerful cloths and watched a blacksmith at a hasty forge. He was a bit too much like the knucker with his yellow apron and clacking grin. I was scared. Even though he gave me a square head nail he had made. Tap, tap. My grandfather brought me a small decorated cross on a leather thong. Perhaps he was not as fierce as I had once thought. But he kept me away from the snapping knucker. Both things a reward, I suppose, for being a good girl, mostly, and one who tried not to fuss. The gardens were resplendent and quite away from gaggling throngs of costume peoples. Each of the outdoor rooms was paved and graveled and edged in summer beauty. A woman took a cutting with a pair of silver scissors. She looked around guiltily and carefully didn't catch my eye. She made her way up a path, the little scissors flashing in the sun. Snip, snip. Furtive glances were worse than anything for calling attention to yourself. I knew all the things that could give you away. No one stopped her, though. And when she left the garden, she was smiling and patting her bulging pockets. My grandfather pursed his lips and said that some folks were simply rude. When we got back to the bus stop, we were both worn out. My grandfather from all his protestations and I from the difficulty of being six in a time-mellowed house and sumptuous grounds you have not yet grown into. Neither of us told my mother I fell in the moat. Welcome to the studio, Anne. Oh, why, thank you, Auntie Nata. How you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. That's good. And I hope all of our listeners are doing well and you're into the new year now. So I hope that you have reset your minds for fun and wonderful things to happen to you this year, 2024. Hmm. I wonder what it's going to turn out like, Anne. Well, we're going to Ireland. That's all I know. Mm. Oh, well, Ireland oh, and, and Salem. And Salem mm. and New England. Mm-hmm. Yes. Anyway, we don't want to bang on about that again. We've bang- banged on about that before. So um, if you want to know more, just look up Mysterious Adventures. Simple yeah. as that. <laughs> Um, but yeah, for this one, we've gone back to England uh, to a place that is steeped with history, Michelin Priory. And uh, we're going to take you for a walk Are you through. yawning already? I always do this when, I sit, down, when I sit down to these freaking microphones. I, I think it must be a... Oh, it's the shape of them. You're just opening your mouth ready, are you? No. Oh, no. No. I, I think it's a nervous tick, actually. It's a nervous tick. Okay. I have. Well, mm. we're going to make note of that, people. So let's mm. see if she does it every single episode or whether we're just keeping her awake because you yawn and that makes me yawn, which makes all of our people who are listening yawn as well. Apologies. Okay. Well, let's get on with this so we stop yawning. So as I mentioned before, we are heading today to uh, investigate Mickleham Cemetery. A priory. A priory. <laughs> you can do the cemetery it's a priory. if you want to. <laughs> and it's believed that the name Mickleham uh, means something like a big piece of land surrounded by a river on three sides. Oh, isn't, isn't that romantic? Now, back in the day, they cleared the island of its forest and uh, maybe they used it as a farm for a while. Now, on the other side of the river, there was the huge forest of Dicker. 
oh, what did they grow in the forest of Dicker? I, I have no idea. Oh, I can imagine there'd be a few plants of... Maybe they didn't... They but, didn't... But those sacred shrubs. Mm, maybe. Sacred bush. Now, the Michelum site was cleared in the Saxon period and it was granted to Norman de... Oh, God, I've written it down somewhere. L'Aigle. L'Aigle. Oh, that's a, that uh, sounds like some sort of um, dish from the 70s. L'Aigle. And um, they were a family uh, who settled uh, after the conquest of England. One of the family members, Richard, um, commonly known as Dick, employed a young man named Thomas. Is that the one that Mary loved? Beckett. Don't stop me here. Okay. He employed a young man called Thomas Beckett. Well, you should know that name. Oh, Thomas, Thomas R. Beckett. Yes. So during a hunting expedition later in 1140-ish, Thomas's horse slipped on an icy bridge because they used to go out hunting together and he fell into the river. Now, he was swept down towards a nearby mill and it was only by good fortune that the miller was there at the time and at that very moment he actually turned off the mill wheel, saving Beckett's life. Now, unable to pull the young man to safety, the only thing that could stop him from being crushed was the fact that he stopped the mill wheel. Um, wow. And then they sort of jumped in, grabbed Beckett, and from that moment, Thomas thought that he had been granted this gift of life by God, and he decided to join the church and devote his life to his saviour. Mm-hmm. The rest, they say, is it's history. history. So tradition says that this dramatic rescue took place at Michelum where there has been a mill since at least the 13th century and very likely probably even before that date. Because they went hunting in the 1100s, didn't they? Mm. So the mill was there then, so that had to be there in the 12th century. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm In uh, 1229, Gilbert de Cough it up. That's it. Um, <laughs> founded an Augustinian priory at Michelum, but he didn't stay in England long enough to see it develop because he lost favour with the king at the time, Henry III, and he was banished to France. So the kings at that time had a lot of say in what was going on in the country as opposed to kind of like now where they're really just a, a figurehead more than anything else. Yeah. Now the priory received uh, grants from other benefactors and was served by four canons under a prior. So that's not boom, boom cannons. No, yes. Yeah, that confused me when I read it. I've gone, what's going on? Uh, By 1283, the priory was well enough established to host a visit by the Archbishop of Canterbury, and that would have been a huge, huge thing. That's what she said. And the priory (laughs) also suffered during the Black Death uh, and in 1353, it was fined for not having enough cannons to fulfil its obligations. Yeah, I have to admit, to every say, time you say cannon, I'm thinking yeah. boom, boom. Yeah. <laughs> Priests. Yeah. Uh, for the souls of Gilbert de Aquilia, his ancestors and the heirs forever. Whatever that means. Forever and ever. Mm. Our woman. Okay, I'm going further down in my oh, notes really oh. is it exciting or do we have do i have to feel um, 
No. Right. So the, oh, okay. the name, it. I'm going to go back to the name. The the name. Le, we leg, want to hear it again. Legle. Le, legle. <laughs> originally came from Normandy and they got the name from a legend about an eagle's nest because that name actually means eagle, for goodness sake. <laughs> so You love your history, don't you? Mm, especially when I can't say it. You did look we did a live uh on uh, you doing the Newcastle history at the Convict Lumberyard the other day, and your history is amazing. When you love it, you really make it entertaining. It doesn't mm. have to be as dry as a nun's. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, one outstanding prior was John Leem. There were a couple during the lifetime of this uh, monastery or priory, and he took over at around 1374. So this is past the Black Death, which was in 1353. Uh, Mickelham lost a bunch of their cannons there. Um, they didn't. Boom, boom. <laughs> they didn't know how they could maintain uh, they fell the, into the upkeep moat. of uh, the priory and to pay their fines. So along comes John Leem. He was the one that dug a moat and built a gatehouse to improve Mickleham's defences during a time when the French were raiding around the Sussex area. I'm going to hit you with my baguette. We are coming in and we are taking over and we are going to bake bread. (laughs) I think we'd throw a croissant as a boomerang. (laughs) So he took over from around 1374 and he remained there until his death in 1417. His duties varied uh, from the most important duties that you would have had in the Priory to less critical ones, which my interpretation is he uh, was a nosy bastard and wanted to know everything. Oh, yeah, well, I mean... What else did they have to do? Mm. Apart mm. from clean the lavatorium, check out our episode on the dark side <laughs> of, of Wally. Now, someone said it was Wally um, Priory. Oh, what Wally. Wally. No, we were calling it Wally. Wally. It's Wally. Okay. Now, after Prior Liam passed away, there was another strong character, William London, and he took over in 1423. He wrote a pretty long letter uh, about the new abbot of St. Augustine's in, Can- in Canterbury, and he was against that uh, person. So you can expect that uh, there would be trouble, yes. Uh, he really um, didn't like the new abbot and apparently the letter ended up causing so much trouble that it got buried so to speak and no one talked about it mm. you don't mean dug a hole and buried or just put it out of the way they so put it out of the way and thought this guy is a, um, a troublemaker so things got even messier in 1437 when Mickleham's seal and the keys of the prior, uh, sub-prior and Granger went missing and it ended up in Sir Roger Finnis uh, of Hurst Mon- Moncu's back pocket. <laughs> so what what's going on here is that everyone is coming in and raiding the place very, very quietly and they're taking away all of the things that are worth something. So the, the very priors, human, isn't it? The priors are kind of turning a blind eye and going, mm, for what favours? What, what, what do I get out of it? Yeah, what favours and what can I have if I give you this gold cross or, you know, mm. whatever it might be? Now, uh, Sir, Sir Roger Finnis kicked out the prior 
and took all the, all the priory stuff. Commissioners were called in to sort things out and they eventually uh, got everything back, but they weren't too pleased with the condition of the stuff. They'd been knocked around knocked a bit. Knocked around a bit. So the next prior was Lawrence Winchelsea, and he took over in 1438. Uh, by that stage, the priory was very, very neglected, and the cannons were misbehaving. Oh, misbehaving cannons. <gasps> so the oh. authorities stepped in, and in 1441, there was a visitation at Mickleham Priory, and they weren't too pleased with what was going on. Well, not pleased. Apparently, prior Winchelsea... Uh, had stolen and sold a ton of stuff that belonged to the priory. Again? And this means not your normal bits and pieces. They were all gone by that stage. The bits and bobs, yes. He was selling off timber, millstones, even a silver goblet. Oh, my God. He he also sold off 38 oxen, 6 cows, 12, 12 horses and valuable books. What was he doing with the money? Ah, uh, well, I don't oh, wine, know. Wine, women and song, no doubt. Yeah. I'm not going to say what else it could have been because I might get in trouble. Now, there's more. It seems he was paying protection money to oh. Sir Roger Finnis. Uh, and he even donated fancy clothes to some folk in London just to shut them up. Oh, donate. Is that in uh, air, inverted commas? Yeah, yeah. And he donate st- or bribes? He stashed away the Priory's documents in a secret hiding spot. Oh, I wonder whether they've been found. Oh, oh. I think I may have something on that. Ah. I've just clicked. On the- oh, right. Okay. okay, keep going. Plus, he held all the important positions in the house and didn't pay the canons their fees. So they were That's basically... That's why the canons were misbehaving. Yeah. So they basically were struggling to put food and drink on the table oh, while he was having a greedy. great time. Uh, in 1478, things weren't looking good. The Priory's buildings were falling apart. Um, they even had to sell off the Priory's jewels during a lawsuit with Bayham Abbey to cover their expenses. So this also uh, caused some scandal with the sub-prior John West. Um, what's a John West tag? Oh, oh, John West is the best or yeah. something? Yeah, it's an Australian oh, I don't thing. know. I smell something fishy uh, there. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, they, they can fish. Mm-hmm. So they, they, there was a scandal with the sub-prior John West and a lady named Alice Ford, who was the wife of a priory servant. Ooh-ah! Uh, she was visiting the prior and canons and getting food and clothing for them from the monastery, which was apparently not too cool. So John West had to fast on bread and water every Friday until his replacement showed up. The rest of the canons were told to stop wandering out, keep quiet, and no stay away from the cannons. tavern outside what? the gatehouse. <laughs> stay away from the grog. <laughs> now, in 1482, John West was elected as a prior by his peers and stayed in the position until his death uh, in 1509. Alice Ford seemed to have some strong ties to the priory because it's what it's her ghost. That still is one of the ghosts at the Priory. Oh, what at was this her stage. name again? Alice. Hmm. Very interesting. <laughs> I'm just going to make a note on my bit of paper over here. Alice Ford, maybe, possibly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Keep going. The last prior was Thomas Holbeam, and he had a bunch of fellow canons with him. Holbeam was a local guy and possibly related to John Holbeam, who was causing some trouble oh, with, his, one? with his strange and evil arguments back in 1478. Did you say strange and evil? Yeah. I yeah. would have loved to have heard those. Yeah, against, against the... 
Can oh, the Archbishop he was speaking the, out. Of Canterbury. Oh, so of course they had to be evil. Right, yes. okay. Now, in 1521, when the Priory was revisited, only, they found... Don't worry, guys, only 500 years to go. Yeah, even more irregularities. Holbeam also sold off a bunch of stuff and things were absolutely... <laughs> They've sold the pews yeah. in the church. <laughs> Um, and uh, there were also some disputes uh, between him and Sir William Pelham over some land in the Dicker. <laughs> <laughs> That's Don't, my Dicker, not yours. This is where the story takes a big turn. Oh, wait. Oh. Hold, hold on, your knickers, everyone. We're going deeper. In 1537, in under Henry VIII's rule, Mickleham Priory was dissolved. The estate went to Thomas Cromwell, the king's minister, and was described as in good estate. Now, they sold off. You would think oh. that there'd be nothing left of this place, but they sold off the church's ornaments, pictures and other stuff. They're all men of God, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, Henry VIII's team assessed Mickleham's worth to be 171 pounds and some bits and pieces. Now, after the, de- after the deductions, it came down to 160 pounds and the canons and servants received pensions and the prior got a big pension of 20 pounds a year for his food and needs. Now, Cromwell was executed in 1540 and Mickleham estate went back to the crown. Part of it was granted to Anne of Cleves, Henry's fourth wife. When she died in 1557, her lands returned to the crown. The new owner was John Foote, who was related to canon Gregory Foote, who had been a tenant uh, in 1542, and Foote, along with his wife, um, and a London draper, John Roberts, bought the estate from the Crown in 1556. But it didn't stop there. In 1587, John Morley took over, and then in 1580, uh, and then a we're, little we're bit later, we're not going to go every month of every year no, no, between no, now no. and. But what I'm trying to to show here is the convoluted history of this place and how many people stole, took things, and it passed from one hand to another. Yeah, it, it's supposed to be like a holy place where people are praying and devoting their lives to God and it just sounds like the den of iniquity. Mm-hmm. Well, is there some, a curse on the land or something? Well... There must be a Native American burial oh, ground. There must be. Um, so Pelham extended uh, the old priory. He sold it for £4,700. Oh, it's gone up in price. Yep, uh, and uh, set up um, some money to support himself and family. The new owner in 1601 was none other than Thomas Saxville, who was uh, related to Queen Elizabeth. Um, They held on to Mickleham for almost 300 years. And then in 1791, a man named William Child... Uh, who was a farmer, uh, came to Mickleham and took charge of its farm and uh, 800 acres. 800 acres. Uh, They had a bunch of kids uh, and the last five were born at Mickleham. William was quite a shooter and... There was a tragic tragic incident on Uh the property in 1798 when one of the shepherds who was working with Mr. Child got drowned in the moat while attempting to cross it. Oh, now hang on. Somebody drowned in the moat. Mm -hmm. But the shepherd, that sounds like um, an adult Mm. or um, 
a, a young adult. Now, remember, no one could swim back then, so yeah. it, it was a bet. It was a bet. Oh, right. Okay. No, I, the, I've just yeah. got a, a story in my stories, which is about the moat. And it, yeah, okay, keep going. Yeah, there's another one. Mr. Oh, Child's five year old son was playing uh-huh. in the water mill and his clothing got caught in the machinery and he was strangled there. Oh, no. Uh, and died. Now, um, he uh, also had a 28 year old son, Thomas. Um, oh no sorry when William passed away his 28 year old son Thomas took over Um, in 1882 Mickleham had 23 rooms most in use most furnished they even had special rooms for brewing beer and cider oh nice plus a little spot called Isaac's Hole oh that had jars of preserves and plenty of wine bottles. Now, Thomas married Elizabeth Stace in 1823. They had 10 children. <gasps> and their son Francis created a book about Mickleham. Uh, in 1852, there were heavy floods. Mr. Child lost a lot of um, cattle, manure. Um, he lost and, a lot of poop. Yeah, and a lot of the uh, cattle drowned oh. from uh, the flood. He died in 1852. His son Francis took over. Hang on a second, over. hang on. Wake up, everyone. Wake up. Times were <laughs> tough um, and uh, his uh, Thomas's oldest son eventually emigrated to New Zealand in 1853. Oh, hello. Uh, in 1861, Elizabeth Child um, was uh, the owner uh, in 1851, Thomas Brown was listed as a farmer. Oh. Uh, in uh, 1896, Lionel Saxby West. <laughs> Can I please in have December a cup of coffee? In 1936, a disastrous uh, um, event struck the Priory when a fire broke out in um, on no, the 19th of December at 4:30 a.m. Uh, they did manage Somebody to their alert candle on. the fire brigade, but they. Wake up, Renata. Wake up. Finish the sentence. They, the, the fire brigade arrived at 5.15am. The only water that they could access was from the pond, but the pond was frozen over, <gasps> so they could not get into it. Oh, no. Because mm. December, that's like we're into winter there. Mm-hmm. Mm. Here we're, we're boiling. <laughs> uh, it then uh, became a... Um, what did it become? Uh, a haunted priory. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. It got for um, yes. It um, hosted military units for so 1941. You had the fifth Canadian Infantry Brigade that was stationed there. British troops, 165th Infantry Brigade took over. Canadians returned. Uh, bloody bloody bloody. Uh, it was for. <laughs> It just went on and it on. It goes on and on <laughs> and, and on. on. Um, There's so many layers. They had the home guard there for a while, um, the auxiliary territorial services. The girl guides uh, and the brownies. Uh, <laughs> Little in, Joey in, from down the corner. In 1951, the estate became the home of Frederick oh, and there. Joyce Story. Frederick and Joyce, hello. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> Um, and was that uh, Dory? Did you say story? Oh, story. story. And then it was purchased in 1959 by Mrs. Ruth Honor Hot Black, known as Stella. <laughs> Stella Hot Black. Oh, Stella. bet she makes a good cup of coffee. Stella Hot Black put in um, a, a restaurant 
certain parking areas and... Um, Please make this end soon. <laughs> we can't lose our audience. I know you told me the history was a bit dry. I it was good there for a while. I told you. I liked all the, the oh. naughty cannons and the people selling stuff off. That was a bit of fun. Anyway. 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 Anywho. Anyway. In 1964. Oh, God. We're still going. <laughs> oh. The Friends of Mickleham Priory were established and, uh, yeah, they kind of took over and were looking after the place. Yep. Are you done? Jesus Christ. No, he's not going to come help us. <laughs> that is probably the longest and most convoluted history. And like I said, I have... Um, you've, if I didn't you've say that, if I didn't say all of that, I'd have nothing to say. But, I mean, some of it is actually really interesting, but it does show how much has gone on there. Yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Every couple of years, they'd throw it to the wolves and someone would buy it and take it over. And, and they'd steal a bit more. Steal a bit more. <laughs> steal a bit more. <laughs> Good. Oh. oh, no wonder there's some ghosts. Yeah. Okay. Are we uh, over to my turn? Oh, please, yes. All right. Well, after that riveting history, where do I even start, Renata? <laughs> yes, we did have oh. to pause there and just take a breath. I'm not doing a priory again unless there's a black monk and an um, American Indian burial ground. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just not doing it. That was as boring as poop. But anyway, no, but it wasn't. It was okay. Um, I'm I'm just going to read this as the opening for my segment. It is said to be haunted by a veritable host of the restless dead. Oh, well, there you go. I know where they've all come I from. I know, according to Rupert Matthews' book, 
Ghost Hunter walks in Sussex. Mickle and Priory's ghosts include a grey lady, a man and a woman in Tudor clothing, a young girl in a ragged dress and an angry man who, it is said, has tried to force previous ghost hunters out of the building by scaring them witless. So, uh, yes, that was, um, I can't even see where I got that from, but I wanted to tell you where I got my soundscape. And I actually had two soundscapes. Renata had uh, sent one over, but I found this one and I just thought it was so cute. And it's called The Dragon of Mickleham Priory by E.E. Rhodes. And I think it was just their recollection of their childhood and going there. And I like that they mentioned the ghosts and the... uh, Mm -hmm. The dragon. Mm-hmm. And at the very end, they fill in the moat. I just thought it was a crack up. There are many mentions of ghosts. I'm going to give you a little bit of a rundown of the typical ones. And there may be some contradictions, as there often are. So... There is the ghost of Thomas Sackville. Now, I remember you mentioned Thomas Sackville. Yes. Right. Uh, uh, once owner of the Priory, still haunts the halls. And apparently he likes to torment a spirit of a little girl called Rosie. Mm. And she is reported to hide in the wood panelling at the top of the stairs to stay clear of her tormentor. Mm-hmm. Now, there is also a grey lady. Now, the grey lady is seen by the bridge and near the gatehouse. Uh, most of the time, she's near the moat staring into the water, apparently mourning her child who drowned there many years uh, beforehand. Uh. Now, is that the, the five-year-old child that you mentioned? Yes. Oh, uh, she, yeah. yeah, she's also been seen staring into the faces of sleeping guests and then flutes away through the walls. Oh, nice. Now... There is a mention of a black hooded monk. There you go. We got you a monk. Excellent. In the Undercroft. Now, we know what the Undercroft is, don't we? Yes. Because we went to one at uh, Dudley Castle. Yes. And we lay in the the stone coffins. Mm -hmm. Well, I tried to. I, I didn't quite fit. I had to lie on my side because my ass was too big. Yeah, mine was a tight fit too. <laughs> so, yeah, this is where the monks, I think, are buried or were buried in mm-hmm. the Undercroft. Uh, and you know how we always talk about there's always famous ghosts and well-named ghosts? Well, mm-hmm. apparently there is also a young boy in the kitchen. Just a boy in the kitchen. A maid in the hall. Doesn't that make you feel better? Yeah. And a lady dressed in Tudor clothing walking the corridors. There's been reports of poltergeist activity with windows opening, doors banging shut and and opening up on their own. And, um, of course, Mm -hmm. most haunted. Yes. Mm -mm. Yes. This was their first show that they actually produced. I'm going to just give you a little bit more information because we're going to concentrate a little bit on most haunted. Uh, There's also mysterious footsteps in empty rooms, shadowy figures that disappear through walls, whispery voices. Um, They did interview some of the people that were managers at Mickleham Priory. There was uh, somebody called Lindsay Lawrence who said, One time I was in the end room cleaning when I suddenly heard this noise behind me. I turned around and the only thing and I could see 
and I'm reading that it is, I turned around and the only thing, and I could see, I think it meant to be I could see, mm. um, the strange heat haze of a really tall man for about 30 seconds. Mm. That's a long time. That's a long time, yes. And now uh, Lindsay also described a spooky experience that she witnessed uh, during a goat, ghost, goat? <laughs> We got, the, we got the goat hunts out again. Oh, just make sure I get that second word right. Um, we were using the Frank's box, she said, and it's a, a radio device which spirits are you know, supposed to be able to speak through and all of that. Mm-hmm. And they heard the world word help about four or five times. Mm-hmm. Now, the people that were doing the investigation said, of course, who, who do you want to help? Mm-hmm. And a really high-pitched voice said, Helen who was the manager there at the time. Oh. They then asked the spirit who wanted to help Helen. And then really slowly it said Lindsay's name. Mm. So they don't actually say whether that came to pass or um, Helen or Lindsay needed help, but... Interesting. It's really weird when you hear your own name called out and those things. And we do, well, I do something. When I hear the spirit box and I hear the word help, I'll always say, always happy to help. You just need to tell me your name so I can help you. Mm -hmm. And generally, you don't get a name. And I had somebody explain it once um, in one of the books we've read that... Sometimes it's just an echo from the past. It's a residual thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't help them anyway. Yeah, because yeah. there's no intelligence behind it. It's just that echo, like the recording being played again. Yeah. Now I've lost my spot. Uh, there's also uh, the Augustinian monks apparently walking down invisible staircase that was removed centuries ago. Oh, that would have been cool. Can to you see? imagine that? Mm-hmm. That would be very, very cool. So a lot of those stories came from uh, sussexlive.co.uk. Now, this next one here comes from Spooky Isles. We love Spooky Isles. So this is talking about Michaela. And uh, apparently they're sort of going around some haunted locations. They're saying that this one tends to be very, very haunted. The guide takes Michaela around and, and tells the ghost stories. Now, they say there's a little girl uh, between the age of six and ten. Uh, and then there, uh, the guide believes the child had a very unhappy childhood and was desperate for t- her to talk to someone. Uh, then they move down into the kitchen, which is over 200 years old. And they, sa- they talk about a man who was dressed as a cook, who was working on the spit. Uh, he was a solid figure that they had seen and they even chatted for a little bit. And Michaela thought it was very interesting. What was the guide doing there at 2am in the morning chatting to a ghost? Yeah. What was he doing? I don't know. It's a little bit of a scepticism here, I feel. I liked this one. Uh, They speak to a paranormal investigator who had had a few experiences. They explained that the gatehouse of the Priory is supposed to be haunted by a grey lady who killed her dog and then herself in the grounds. One night, setting up for an investigation, the investigator realised he had forgotten a vital piece of equipment, and with it being dark and them being slightly spooked, they ran back towards the direction of the Priory to retrieve it, only to hear the barking of an invisible dog chasing him, while the rest of the team found this very amusing... They were a little bit upset. (laughs) There was also another area they talked about, the music room, 
where paranormal investigators had uh, lights off and trying to pick up on anything that might be present. And it was a full moon and two of the groups saw a shadow on the fireplace from the outside, a man in a tall hat that was moving past the window. Uh, They did a recording and... Uh, the team member suddenly stopped filming, saying that the group needed to get out of the building and quickly told her team that she'd seen a man with his face close to hers, described him as wearing a brown military uniform. And it wasn't until afterwards that the team discovered that Priory had been home to members of the Canadian Air Force during the Second World War. Tick. Yeah, there you go. You mentioned that one. Mm-hmm. I do like it when people have the courage to say what they are seeing, even though it goes against the history of the location. And then you find out that it was. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Uh, There was a caretaker at the Priory who claimed to be awoken one night by a terrifying noise. There was a lot of loud banging next door to their room, which continued to up to 15 minutes. That's a long time for a banging. That's a big session. Uh, Once they were brave enough, they decided to venture to investigate and discovered that the new bureau that they had bought had moved and a figure of eight was scratched into the floor where the bureau had been moved about so violently. That's poltergeist. I like that. But now, this is... I just realised I also had a whole thing on the Ghost Club I've, um, I don't know what I've done with that, but we're going to talk now about Most Haunted. Mm-hmm. Now, what a lot of people don't realise, that when you are filming a season, a series, did you know that the very first episode you see when they launch the series is mm. not the first one they've filmed? Mm. So I have found out. Yeah. Yeah, they generally um, will keep that first episode till later because when you're doing your first episode, you're very nervous Mm -hmm. and you want things to go well and um, you make mistakes and you're not quite into the rhythm of stuff. Mm -hmm. So uh, the Mickle and Priory was their very first episode ever, Mm -hmm. but it appeared, I think it was episode eight, Mm -hmm. if I remember correctly, season one. Um, So... That's that's interesting. That was the first time that Derek Cora appeared on the scene. Oh. Oh, we like Derek Cora stories, don't we? I found this awesome article, which I I had a little bit of a chuckle about, um, which was a Mickle and Priory episode review. Mm-hmm. So they're they're reviewing the uh, most haunted episode. Oh, so is this a random reviewer or anyone important? I, once again, have written it down somewhere. I've just got to find where the the thing is. Oh, you know, I can't find it. That's okay. I'll Let's find it later on. on. Yep. Uh, but, yeah, they are talking about how they feel the episode went. Mm-hmm. Um, so Yvette Fielding, of course, opens up the program and uh, is giving a little bit of history about the house and some of the stories of the ghosts and the haunting. Now, you know why they do this, don't you? It's not for the history. It's to prime you. Uh-huh. It gets you the expect- excited, yes. excited and expectations. expectations. Yes. Oh. So shortly afterwards, they um, introduce the eminent medium, Derek Okora. Mm-hmm. 
They then speak to Chris Tuckett, who is the property manager, and they talk about tales of moving furniture, scratches on the floor, which we just talked about, the yeah. figure eight mm-hmm. and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is the first time I hear uh, the sounds of a crying woman. Hmm. He declares that things have become so bad that he needs to move out. It's it's just getting too bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is also when they introduce parapsychologist Jason Carl. Do you remember Jason Carl? No, he I was don't. only apparently in season one, if I remember correctly. Uh, then they head off into the Undercroft, where they place the dead monks, <laughs> and uh, they that she regales viewers with the tales of the BBC film crew having encountered the supernatural before she takes a walk around with Derek. At one point, she speaks to us from the ladies. Now I'm trying to work out: does that mean she's in the toilet? I'd say so. Where she tells us that she had a strange experience. (laughs) (laughs) I'm feeling you. I know what that's like. Yes, there is one bathroom at Maitland Jail that is... um, Not nice. Well, depends, I suppose. (laughs) (laughs) That's not nice. All right, so apparently they're all having dinner. And do you know what happens? What? Derek slips into a mini trance during during supper time. I'd be off. I'd be like, Derek, can you let me finish me bangers and mash, please? (laughs) We've got spotted dick for dessert. Please hold up. Um... So he starts to pick up on a little girl by the name of Rosemary. Rosemary. Rosemary, yes. Um, Now, there is no historical records of oh. a rosemary but mm-hmm. that doesn't mean there wasn't a rosemary no, because there were lots of children and, um, yeah, the and servants would have had kids and they don't really keep track of the the no. lower class so no, to speak they don't. women and children didn't mean a thing now you can see apparently that uh, Yvette's a little bit um phased by this she's she's not real happy but she's also a little bit amazed uh so in during the the trance session he picks up also two ladies that once lived at michelum mm-hmm. um which then jason carl the parapsychologist says tick mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh we have a story on how some nurses arranged to stay at the priory in a ghost hunt but they didn't finish the night because they were so scared it's winding people up uh, as they enter the doorway um, of the Undercroft, a door opens by itself. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows what it is, but Derek does. Derek knows exactly who it is. It's the ghost of Herbert. Herbert Pelham, a former resident of the house. Do you have it? Did you have a Herbert Pelham in that long list of names? Because it did not sound familiar. No. Um, According I'll to just, Derek, this spirit beckons them to go through an open door where another, where another spirit named Thomas Sackville, now we had Thomas yeah, Sackville, yeah, yeah, yeah. was we waiting. Him. We had him. Now oh, this, he's so correct with all of these, isn't he? Oh, it's amazing, he's isn't he? spot on. Oh, Sam. 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 Sam's doing a good job. That's his spirit guide. Uh, so Sackville was a real, real person, a poet who once lived at Michelum, and then they head off into the kitchen where they've got another ghost. Mm-hmm. It's Molly. Molly Pearson. Sam, who's that? It's Molly. Molly's in the kitchen. Now, Derek says that Thomas Sackville is a pervert. He's a pervert who got up to things with this young girl. And that is why Rosemary is so terrified of Sackville. Now, this very clever Rosemary ghost takes Derek to a staircase, which is hidden, um, 
and there is a statue of a Madonna and child located inside the cupboard like a sort of shrine. Oh. Apparently this is where Rosemary keeps her dolls and where she used to hide from uh-huh. Thomas Sackville. Oh, where so, was it? Um, upstairs? Uh, downstairs? Well, see, the one that I got told... It was upstairs. It was upstairs. But this is, sorry, a hidden staircase. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, hmm. So poor old Yvette... She's a little bit upset by this stage, isn't well, she? She, she? She declares. She, it's all about Derek at the moment. Well, it is. That's why she's going to just move things around a little bit. She declares that at the end of the evening they will hold a seance and they're going to try and help the little girl cross over. Oh, good on you. Bless you, vet. Uh, now, as they're moving through... Now, I'm going to come back to all this later on, so just remember these little bits. Mm-hmm. As they enter another room, poor Yvette... You know what happened to her? Oh, she gets taken over. No. Does she start to scream? No. Well, she probably did because she got pinched on the bottom. Oh. She got a little bit of hanky-panky. Well, that must be that Thomas Saxville. Uh, Well, we'll find out. Maybe. Now, Derek claims that the room is haunted by a stern woman who tells him that the room burnt down. (gasps) Hang on. Didn't you tell me that in history? Mm Mm-hmm. And it had to be rebuilt? Yes. Right, so now we're into the dining room. Jason Carl claims that in 1993, during a similar vigil, a strange footprint was found on the hearth and later captured on film. Now, we've had a footprint. We have. At Maitland Jail. <clears throat> we have. Now, they hear a strange whining noise, and as they hear the whining noise, the lights go off, and they can't work out where that's coming from. Carl Beatty is on camera. Um, he claims to have felt a little bit of a tingly sensation. Woo! <laughs> And that he and Rick um, saw a set of legs covered by a coat which simply disappeared. Ooh. Oh. Now, they've, they've, they dig out their EMF meters then and they head out to go and see if they can catch spirit phenomena with an EMF meter. Mm-hmm. The meter goes wild. Nobody knows why, but Derek does. <laughs> Derek is, now this is funny because it says uh, Akora claims that, uh, I think they meant to say claims, uh, Sackville's wife is making that happen because she wants to know where her husband is. Mm -hmm. He's off chasing that child. That's what he's doing. Horrible man. They go back into the kitchen. You'd never guess what's in the kitchen. Hi, EMF, Renata. Really? Hi, EMF in the kitchen. I've never heard of it. Um, that poor Jason who was there has no explanation for it. I don't know, but, but Derek, Derek has. But Derek does. <laughs> Derek goes into a trance. And he Jeez, starts, he's good at those trances. Oh, he is. He's pretty amazing. That's and um, he starts... Uh, acting like he's a big man and he oh hello uh, and keeps bending down so he must be like ducking through doorways and things I wanted to watch this and I haven't had time mm-hmm. to watch it but this was just such a glorious recount of it I felt like I was there with them um so then he, he comes back to himself and he, he's back and it's all right. So at 4.30am, uh, Carl joins him and Ian, the cameraman, and they head into Rosemary's hidden stairwell. The EMF meter at this point goes haywire. Oh, bloody ghosts and the EMF. We know that ghosts, it's, it's picking up on fluctuations. They're walking around with cameras and, and microphones. No wonder it's going off. Mm. Um, and apparently Ian is mysteriously pushed over, making the camera malfunction and the picture disappears. No. I, you know, the cameraman is blaming the ghosts for something they've done wrong. No, of course it was the ghost. Anyway, they fixed it up. They get the picture back and... Um, 
they find oh was it rosemary kept her dolls inside a chest that was located inside that room but they're talking about the madonna so the, i wonder if that's what she thinks is her her dolls but anyway they wrap up as as yvette promised they hold a seance for rosemary oh. uh and they they tried to make contact with her and uh, help her out. I don't really know what happened because it doesn't tell us. No. I know, but I'm sure Derek knows. Uh, <laughs> during the program, viewers are left believing that they were witnessing firsthand several supernatural occurrences, the doors opening, strange lights, the pinch on a vet's bottom, and Derek or Cora going into a trance. Now, this is where they start talking about things that might not be quite right. Uh, we go down into this. Well, I've got to find it. Thomas Sackville, first Earl of Dorset, an MP for East Grinstead, was a well-known poet. He lived at Mickleham Priory. Uh, so he's a real person. He was also a cousin of Queen Anne Boleyn. Mm-hmm. Uh, a claiming that he's a pervert and who fondled and did things with young girls. Now, nowhere in the historical records are there any reports of any sort of behaviour uh, of this man. But in saying that, they would cover up things, particularly if he was a cousin of the Queen. Absolutely. So I know that this person is saying that there is no records anywhere, therefore it won't be true, and it was just put out there for, um, mm-hmm. you know, to bring the audience in because everyone loves to have a, a bad ghost. But this person can no longer speak for themselves. And this is one of the things that really pisses me off about psychics and mediums when they make up stories about people who can no longer speak for themselves. And then people pretend that it's part of their history. Mm -hmm. Uh, Rosemary, the child ghost, no historical reference to Michelin. Uh, But as I said before, that doesn't prove that she wasn't there. Could well have been. Uh, there is something else that they mentioned here. Jason Carl is an actor who worked on Most Haunted but left the series uh, after season one. That doesn't mean they're not a parapsychologist or some sort of scientist with an English... I'm an actor. Does that mean that because I'm an actor, I have no knowledge of the field at all? Yeah, but if he's been portrayed... That's, I mean, that's a fine line. If he's actually being portrayed as a parapsychologist... You know, the first thing is that he knows his stuff rather than an actor who knows a bit about it. You know what I mean? It's like, well, when was the last time you picked up a book? (laughs) What's his name? Jason Carl. Jason Carl. All right, let's let's quickly Google. All right, we had a quick pause and just looked him up. Um, Now, he he has done quite a bit of work. He is... uh, um, trained yeah, what in, he does, yeah, he's yep. a good presenter mm-hmm. and things like that. Now, according to the article I have here, they're saying that he was, um, I've just lost the spot, about, something about being Hyde. Uh, even though he's neither a scientist nor a historian, he was engaged by Most Haunted to give a resident sceptic view and an occasional historic one. Mm-hmm. So I gather that was his job. Mm-hmm. Uh do you need to be a paranormal investigator or anything to have a sceptical view? No, you but just need you, to ask shouldn't, you shouldn't be having the title of parapsychologist. Well, I don't know if he is a parapsychologist. That's the thing. <clears throat> um, but it's written up here in as, some of the, oh, is, the things. He? No, no. It's just, it's written here like that. That's what he was presented as in Most Haunted. Mm. 
as a parapsychologist and you kind of go, well... That a parapsychologist has a degree in psychology. Yeah. With a unit in the extra para bit. Anyway, uh, this is the bit I really like. Let's get on to the next bit. The okay. pinching of a vet's bottom. <laughs> okay. Let's go there. Let's go there. Now... I don't know if a lot of people know, but hopefully you do, that Carl Beatty, the cameraman, is her husband, right? Uh Uh-huh. And apparently they used to get up to a lot of mischief on set. And it's quite possible that he pinched her on the butt. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, uh, yeah, maybe that's why he was feeling tingly too. Mm -hmm. Ooh! (laughs) And he didn't say anything to her, so he just let it. Well, who knows? We don't know for sure. This Mm -hmm. is just this person's possibility of explaining what had happened there, Mm -hmm. really. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let me have a quick look at the last page. Um, Yeah, I think that's that's about all I've got from mine. But I just found that was a quite an interesting summary of the episode. I mean, there, there's been a lot of history. There's a lot of layers. There has been deaths. There's been um, drownings. There's mm-hmm. been a sacking of the place and people doing rotten, bad, horrible things. There's been fires. It's got hundreds and hundreds of years of history. Yeah, and so many people going through the place. So, yeah. Um, and taking their pound of flesh with them as they went. Absolutely. I'm surprised that the building is not angry at the world and those who come through there for what's happened to it. Mm. Well, you did have a quite a period. Mm, no, I was going to go back to the canons and priors praying, <laughs> but I don't know whether they were actually doing the right things or not and, and sort of, you know, layering that, um, you know. Oh, here we go. We've got alarms going off. And that- I think I set that alarm to remind us to do something, but I can't remember what it is. <laughs> Oh, the joy of my brain. Uh, uh, just layering, you know how, you know, if, if there's a place that um, has a, a, a long history of prayer and ritual and everything, then it is very a very sacred place. Well, and I don't so, know how much praying was going on there, I don't, I don't. I don't. After hearing the, the, the cannons and everyone heading off to the tavern across the road to have a good time and then come back. And kn- sell off the gold crosses. Yeah, who knows? I reckon there could be some ghosts there. I'm going to say that I reckon it's haunted by um, those who think that it was an absolute dogfight went, what went down in there. Yeah, I, I pretty well think that it's... We have it's, to go visit. Yeah, it's haunted for sure. We're going by to be, who? We don't know. No, but. Uh, well, I like there's a maid. I like there's a cook. I like there's just ordinary people in there as well. Absolutely. That gives me great joy. Um, that brings us to the end of this episode. If you've enjoyed it, please share it around. Let other people know about our craziness. Uh, if you want to support our work, you know all the, the stuff we do, the Grand Poo Bars and the Patreons, and you can buy us a cup of coffee. All the links are down below in the the uh, comments and the description of what this episode's all about. Thanks for being here, guys. We'll see you on the dark side. Stay spooky. Be frightfully good. Don't be a dickhead. dickhead. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of True Hauntings. If you like the show, give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. For more on Anne and Renata, follow at Anne and Renata on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube.
or visit their website, www.annandrenata.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.